Jesus Christ, Doc, you disintegrated Einstein. Disintegrated Einstein. Einstein. It's a mini-sode. Hi, it's Frida. And it's Abby. If you could go back in time, what would you change? Would the universe let you make a change? If our future is predetermined, then nothing you can do will change it. If it's open to influence, then anything you do might just change everything. Whatever you decide, just make sure it's an excellent adventure. We are on episode one of our new mini-series, Wibbly Wobbly Timey Wimey. (laughs) And to start off, we are looking at See You Yesterday. CJ and Sebastian and Eduardo are the smartest kids in school. They're on track for some serious high-tech science fair showcases and scholarships to the best colleges in the country. Their science project? Temporal relocation. The kids done went and invented time travel. With a little cameo of support from their teacher, Mr. Lockhart. (laughs) When CJ's brother Calvin is murdered by cop for the crime of walking while black, She's not content to feed into the standard time travel tropes of do not do anything to change the past. Every action she takes is to try to save her brother. But time travel paradoxes always get in the way. Frida. Abby. Can I just say, right, so I watched this movie years ago when it first came out and I've, and I've had like it on a notes list for us to do for the podcast for so long but it was just like, I was like, how much time travel, like there's a lot of time travel, but how much science chat is there? And I was waiting for the right moment to do it. And then when I was thinking originally of doing it as the main episode, but then I was like, because of the cameo, which we'll talk about in a minute, in the end, I was just like, I have to do Back to the Future first. And then do like, so this is how I've ended up with this movie being the first of the mini series. Um, how did you feel about it? I loved it. For a bunch of reasons. It just, you know, because you said time travel, it's been done so many times that it's almost skeptical that you're going to see something that puts a different spin on it or that revitalizes the genre somewhat. And that's basically what this movie did. I totally agree. I love it so much. And and you know me, I find it so hard to watch because you know I don't like watching a sad story. You know I don't like watching something that's going to make me feel anything. Um, But I think it's an excellent mix of teen goof and real story and allowing the teenagers to tell a very real story as well instead of making it that kind of childish, everything is la-di-da perfect and works out in the end. I loved the goof aspect of it. It was so goofy and that's probably like one of my favorite things about it is it really went in on the science fiction goof. And and I think this is something I said like at the beginning of our podcast, science fiction, good science fiction is just a way to tell a human story. It you you use futuristic technology to to make a point. And that's exactly what this movie is doing. It's not about explaining exactly how it works. You goof off on the science fiction. The point of it is you're trying to set up some sort of moral lesson or some communicate something about the human condition. And that's good old science fiction. And then told through the experiences of people of color in America. I mean, it's, it's really special. 
Absolutely. And it's, um, it's one of those movies as well where there's certain aspects that happen in it that are so, like there's certain points of the movie which, uh, particularly I think for us and like the rest of the world, not being in America um, and not seeing that stuff on the news continuously throughout like the last decades, um, there are certain parts of it. There's one scene in particular with Sebastian and um, and the kneeling and you're in your mind, you immediately go to you like you immediately go to George Floyd. But the thing is that like George Floyd was killed in 2020. This movie was made as a short story in 2017 and then made as a full like recorded as a or filmed as a full movie in 2018. So it just shows you like to us and the rest of the world how prevalent these certain actions have always been that they chose these these parts to highlight in this movie and you just kind of go like this isn't a response to recent events this movie was created before all of these recent events that the whole world became more uh, aware of and it just kind of it shows it makes me just think about how like how much of a of a message they were trying to tell beforehand of things that we all just like in our mind. I, I don't know how, I'm not articulating myself very well right now, so I'm just going to stop talking. Well, what I think the, the big statement of the film is, hey, here's a time travel film, but like it's Caribbean kids or it's black kids in America. And so it's going to be time travel, but it's going to be black people. Oh shit. Do you know what it's like for black people in America? This is what happens. Yeah. And th- that's kind of the gut wrench of it. It's like, this is just, this is how life is. This is what happens. This one is in the military. This one's with the police and all these sorts of things happens. And that's, it's almost yeah. like the gag of the film is like, wow, what a cool thing. Like black people time travel. It's like, gotcha. Because yeah. there's no escape. There's no, there's no future technology. There's no fantasy that will make anybody in this story escape the reality of their existence in in this sort of Flatbush neighborhood, which is grim. And yeah. it's almost like it does, it's a bait and switch or something like that. And it's so spikely. Well, it's actually, so spikely. On, on that as well, um, how do you feel about the ending? Because I particularly love the ending. Loved it. No problem with it. I went on Reddit just because I like to see everyone's theory on time travel for time travel films on Reddit. This movie was panned on Reddit. I was really horrified by it. It just shows you the degree of racism. Yeah. Yeah. Sorry. It's it's, people are racist cunts without question. Um, And the ending, they're like, so dumb. The ending for me was very clear what the ending was about. She was going to keep going and going and going and going until she never stop. It's, um, it's, and never it's be able literally to it. a statement like I, I don't know if like I mean I don't want to be putting words into the mouth of it, of other people of creators of like Stephen Bristol who directed it and co-wrote it with uh, Fred, uh, Fredica Bailey sorry um, I don't want to put words into what their intentions were but what I read it from the first time I watched it like the first time I watched it I remember feeling quite sad because I remember just thinking like um oh, you know, nothing she can do can change it because I was thinking about the whole time travel aspect of it. 
But then it was kind of like, it, it's it's everything to do with the system. It's everything to do with like systemic racism. It's she's fighting against a system. And no matter what she does, she's always coming up against the system. And the system is pushing her back and not allowing her to make effective change. And at the end, she's running towards that hope that she can just keep going, keep trying. She is running towards the idea that if I just try again, if I just try a different tack, eventually I'll be able able to break the system and I'll be able to make the change and it shows the loop of it shows to me that like this is what black people particularly in America but all over the world have been doing for centuries running and running and running towards trying to make change and the whole system is just constantly going no and then go back new laws come in that restrict this that restrict that yeah. yeah, it's like the cycle of trying to of trying to get out of a cycle of like uh uh you know, how do you say but the institutional institution sort of pushing you down. Yeah. Generation after generation, not allowing you to escape the cycles and then being like you know, what's up with you guys already? You know what I'm saying? But it's like it's the system which reinvents itself in every generation in a different way to keep putting people back in that place. Yeah. And, like, in her determination to try to escape it. Um, but the look on her face was very moving and it was sad. Yeah. It was so many things at once. And, honestly, when a film has an ending like that, which just allows you to sit with it, and let it wash over you, like, that's cinema. Yeah, <laughs> I don't need every movie to end and be like, this is what happens at the end. Sometimes you have to receive the movie into yourself, let it wash over you, and allow yourself to be moved by it. And sometimes the only way to do that is to offer something open-ended like this. I'm going to assume that the people that were panning it on Reddit were people who were just complaining that there wasn't a resolution. And I'm going to assume that none of them took the actual message of the movie. Is my guess. Yeah, what what resolution are we going to offer? In the, it's a Spike Lee film, number one, and um, number two. I think that there's just that dark element of the internet where where people yeah. fight against black people being in time travel films. All of a sudden, yeah, I, I think that's what it is. It's like it's there. There's a lot. There's just, a lot going on. It's just the worst on. parts of the internet. Yeah, no, look, there's, there's the, just, just it's not even in darker parts of the internet. It's happening right now in terms of like a lot of the fandoms, like all the uproar with Lord of the Rings, um, new TV show, the fact that there's black elves. There's the whole thing with um, ha- uh, like Haley Bar- Bailey playing um, the Little Mermaid, and be oh, you can't have black mermaids. Like what the fuck? I just I, fictional characters can't be black. What the fuck are you talking about? Um, but yeah, and it's it's gone on in the whole uh, like in the whole Marvel universe as well with the new phase and all of the diversity that's happening and all the different shows that they're presenting and people are now like complaining about that because they're like oh it's you know they're ruining the MCU by having diversity it's like I <laughs> you know some things just aren't for you and you don't have to be represented in every single fucking movie so just get over yourselves don't watch just- it <laughs> cat don't watch it um so shall we move into the cast then. Uh, yeah, because sure. so before before we talk about the main cast, let's just get the like personally for me, uh, the absolute best cameo that has ever existed in any movie, which is the appearance <gasps> oh. of Michael J. Fox. <laughs> as, it's like um, it's like he blessed the film. Hey, that's exactly what it was. It was like he and was so the passing whole rest it. of the film. Yeah, it's yeah. like here's 
He legit the mantle. Yeah, legitimized it. He just legitimized the whole film. I was like, well, I guess this is a good time travel film. Great. Oh, it was beautiful. It was beautiful it was that amazing. he was the skeptic. It was beautiful that he had that line as they're leaving the classroom. But the last thing he says Great. is time travel. Great, Scott. <laughs> Just but I'm just so perfect. moved as well by him, how how hard that would have been for him, how much time that would have taken for him to get those lines out. I mean, just he it's just the human spirit that is personified by Michael J. Fox is honestly so moving it, to it, me. Did you see the recent um, clips as well of some event where he's there with, um, oh my God, what's his name? What's Doc Brown's name? Christopher Lloyd. Christopher Lloyd, thank you. Bloody hell. But there's some event recently where they were they went they were at the event together and you just see like Christopher Lloyd just hugging him, like just standing just like it, there's just something about it that you're just like you just want to like have a little cry at just the beauty and the purity of it. You're right there. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Yeah, right, so um, let's I... so, No, go on. <laughs> I'm just thinking about neurodegenerative disease. I'm thinking about yeah. people that are so brave that bring it to the forefront. He probably has been single-handedly responsible for raising so much money and so much awareness mm-hmm. and pushing research forward. And you see how research into neurodegenerative diseases have come so far. And I've, it's because of people like him. Just really. Exactly. And and the thing as well is like what you said about this this movie, it feels like like I don't know how much stuff he's done this is the last thing, as far as I'm aware, that he that he cameoed in. Um, and before this, I'm not sure, like what level of things he he cam he cameoed in or appeared in, uh, like how often or how regular. So for him to have chosen to do this, like you said, it feels like he blessed the movie. It feels like he he felt that like it was important, and it was him again, just just being that person to kind of step in and go like as you said, like no matter how, how hard it's going to be or difficult or how long it might take him to be able to do that, that scene. Um, and, and he put weight into it as well, instead of it just being like, you just saw him for a second and then he was gone. It was, you know, no, yeah, it was, it was lovely. It was, it was really beautiful. He did it. It was beautiful. So let's move into the actual cast. I've picked out three. So if you've got anyone else that you want to talk about, but I thought like specifically we should just bring up, um, Eden Duncan Smith, who plays CJ, Dante Critchlow, mm-hmm. who plays Sebastian, and then Brian Stroh Bradley, who plays Calvin. Astro. Stroh, yeah. right. Stroh, yeah, Astro, yeah. That so guy he's- is something special. That yes. guy is, is got such a presence about him. He, yeah, he reminds me of, of I don't know, but he's got gravitas to him. I hope he goes very far. I thought he was, he was brilliant. Exactly, really? and and I was having I was looking to see his IMDb to see if he was like in any other stuff because uh, immediately that that's the thing I, I like the presence, but also and there's stuff that I that I'll kind of talk about as we go through. But there's just something about the way you know when someone just adds a little bit of realism to everything in their reaction, in their just how he responds with just little side looks or just there's just so much about it that you're just like. I oh, sorry, I can't. I'm. I really don't have words today. Yeah. I seem to be failing now. <laughs> I thought he was excellent, but yes, yes, I'm going to stop now. He, he, he had it. He had a good way that the character's inner life was portraying. 
Mm. He didn't, they didn't say much, you know, they didn't need to. Clearly he'd worked on himself, he'd gotten in a bit of trouble and it has a degree of inner stillness and inner peace in him because he's looking forward to changing things and looking to, to make things better for his family, basically. Yeah. Like that's all communicated very easily through a few key scenes and a few little references and he's trying to guide his little sister into the right direction. Yeah. And he manages to communicate that through really not much. Yeah, exactly. And then obviously that just compounds the tragedy of his death. Um, And then Sebastian as well, I suppose Sebastian being the kind of the proxy second second brother, uh, also trying to guide CJ in some sort of a way on, on that aspect of things. He's He's another kind of calming influence and presence in contrast to CJ's kind of manic aggression that she just doesn't seem to be able to kind of keep under control. I loved her though. We haven't, we sort of, I sort of went past her quickly to the brother, but I really loved her. I loved her full, the fullness of her character. Um, I love the way she screamed at her ex-boyfriend in the beginning. I love that we saw that parts of her, that that she had this like, that she's like, she had this like hot boyfriend, you know what I mean? I love that she's like this nerdy girl. And I kind of love that you saw her ex and like yeah. all these dramas, that she wasn't just like nerd without any other dimension. She was like a full a full person. I thought yeah. that was kind of fresh in my opinion. I've got so I've got a whole thing that I want to talk about her but that I want to keep that for the next section when we talk about the time travel story because it it kind of connects to with mm-hmm. how I feel like they did this movie differently sure. in terms of her character but yeah I think like Eden Duncan Smith she was she was fantastic um I I yeah. just I loved her uh like like you said the She's this nerdy girl with this confidence level as well, where she wasn't like, you know, it's not wallflower. It's not shy reserving or anything. She's out there. She's like, I'm smart. I know I'm smart. And you better listen to me. Yeah, she's cool. I liked her. And then how do we feel about Sebastian? Or uh, Dante Critchlow? Again, I I thought he was very sweet. I definitely think he paled... He was sweet, but definitely in her shadow. Yeah. In terms of star power, for sure. Okay. I loved his family, though. His family, I loved his grandmother. Yes. Oh, she's his, fa- oh. his family was fantastic. <laughs> yeah. I love it. You know when you just see scenes and there's just way that people are just like, yep, this is like, um, I don't know how to describe it. It's, it's like we've been watching Dairy Girls recently and, like, I just, I'm like, cracking up dying every single episode of Dairy Girls I watch because I'm just like yep yep that's 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 how Irish mothers talk that's how Irish grandfathers talk that's how your auntie will talk that's that's how you talk to your friends when you were in school in the 90s that's how the teacher like it's just everything is like you're just like everything is so realistic um and we don't often get that in movies because movies present the way the people like converse with each other is just not natural to what we kind of experience in the world. So I love when you find a movie that's like, yeah, it's just it's just really natural. That's the word I was trying to think of a while ago, and that's what I felt about Calvin. The way he interacted was just really natural. Natural, yeah, good directing. I'm assuming. Okay, so shall we get into the first part of our chat in terms of the discussion 
topic, Mm -hmm. which is the time travel story. So in terms of the time travel story that we have here, we've got our two prodigies that are going to the science fair. Uh, Mr. Lockhart uh, poses the question to CJ, if you could go back in time, what would you change? And raises the issue that time travel presents one of the greatest philosophical and ethical conundrums. Um, So the story then itself is about her trying to save her brother or trying to save Sebastian and essentially highlighting the life of black people in America, but also particularly the pandemic in the US of young black men being murdered. So most time travel stories tend to focus on going back in time and not changing the past, whereas this one is explicitly about her attempts to change the past and how it never works. How do you feel about the time travel story? Yeah, and I think think that it builds really nicely on the Back to the Future one because we discussed the idea of you cannot change significant events. Mm. So that if something has certain ripples in (laughs) space-time, you cannot do anything to change it. It has to happen. So that was actually going through my head um, while I was watching it. Um, But, of course, like, it seems obvious. If if you could go back in time and change anything, yeah, it would be, you know, people talk about, I don't know, killing Hitler as, like, this thing that people do, but – that's like this insane global scale. What about just, no, my brother? I would save the person that I love. It seems so obvious, and yet, honestly, we haven't really seen it in movies before. Um, oh, no, <laughs> not the movie we're doing next week. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but he doesn't. But, that's the thing. This movie is about them doing it, not yeah. not doing it. Well, that yeah. that's the thing. No, so it's, it's like this is the thing that always comes up in time travel movies. The whole point of the time travel movie or the whole the whole thing that's always introduced at the beginning is don't do anything to influence the past. You can't do that. Um, and everyone who goes back in time is always like controlled to some level in that they understand or that they want to affect change, but they they're always being pulled back from the brink of it. Whereas from the very first moment with CJ, she has like zero chill. You know, it shows the consequences of immaturity connected with having this type of um, technology. Like she goes back and the very first thing she does is throws a slushie in her ex-boyfriend's face. Like, fuck the consequences. She's just like, boom, bitch. (laughs) Sebastian's standing there going, mate, what are you doing? Right, so the first thing she does is go to where she is. And it's funny because cause I was like, what the fuck? Like the first thing you do is – and it kind of pissed me off because it's ignoring the time travel canon that you yeah. don't go to where you are. And the first thing she does is go to where she is. It kind of annoyed me. It was like – it, Like, well, how can you ignore the foundation that all these other time travel – stories have laid in entertainment and in science fiction writing and in film and just ignore the rule like I, it made me angry i was like how how can you just make your own shit up when for decades we've done it like this and you're just doing it differently it kind of made me angry to be honest to be honest it made me angry as well when i first watched it and then when i was really thinking about it i was just like but that's it's more realistic 
It's a teenage girl whose ex-boyfriend has fucked her over. He's spreading rumours and lies about her. She's angry. She's She's got all this emotion and rage that kind of goes through her. And she's arrogant. Like, that's the truth about CJ, particularly in the beginning. She's very arrogant. She's very much like, you know, I can do this. Yeah, yeah. So we've done this. So we'll win the science fair. Yeah, we'll get into whatever college we want. Like, whatever. Like, she's she's very kind of aware of her own abilities, confident in her own abilities, but also still has all of this human reaction and behaviors to things. Just because she's smart, intelligent, just because she's has all of this like brains to be able to create this thing doesn't remove, doesn't cr- cause her to become a calm, rational person. She still has all of this kind of uh reactionary behavior and that's what I kind of enjoyed about it because I was like we never see that with time travel movies but with her from the very first instant you get her reactionary behavior and Sebastian going like dude like stop and I kind of I view it as like what you see her doing is what you would expect her to do in her real life whether she had a time travel pack or not yeah, there isn't any idea of like, what about the consequences of all of this? They're not really thinking about it at all. But I think that's a statement you, on some teen behavior, though, because a lot of teenagers, yeah, a lot of young people don't think about the consequences of their actions or don't recognize that their actions do have consequences. It's also a statement on how time travel is made up and all the rules are all made up and we don't yeah, have exactly. to stick to them you can do whatever time the fuck travel actually isn't a real thing. <laughs> so this idea that like people invent time travel and they're like, here are the rules of time travel. And you're like, really? How did you know? Was time travel around before? You've just been watching movies, haven't you? And so it's like, well, it's actually, it's not real. It doesn't exist. So there aren't any rules we have to follow because it didn't exist. We invented it. So yeah. I'm just going to throw a slushie in my boyfriend's face. <laughs> Exactly. <laughs> Which it's like I've always wanted to do this. In- Here we go. <laughs> Which seems inconsequential because what's because the boyfriend isn't going to be like, "Have you traveled back in time?" He'll just be like, "That was weird," <laughs> and he'll just think that he misunderstood something, and then everyone will move on. Like it's not a big yeah. deal. <laughs> um, or so- you know, yeah. So in terms of the actual, so I wanted to like kind of, because because we did a lot of work last week on Back to the Future of looking at the different time travel paradoxes and, and things that come up in terms of time travel movies, um, I wanted to kind of go back, like, as we go through the miniseries, like, see what, what each movie kind of connects to. And this one very clearly seems to connect to what we discussed last week being the Novikov's self-consistency principle. So to kind of uh, go over that again... This this um, paradox or this self-consistency principle says that any event that would cause a paradox or change or a change to the past would have zero probability of occurring. So you could travel back in time, but nothing you could do would change the course of history and there would be so therefore there would be no paradoxes. Um, and that kind of acts somewhat like a closed time like curve or a closed causal loop. Um So yeah, so it's the argument that if you can travel back in time, then the events that have already happened occurred because you travel back in time or the fact that she, in this one particularly, the fact that she travels back in time and tries to make those changes, no matter what she does, she actually causes another event to occur or like she doesn't make it or she causes another event to occur to uh, have the same, as you said, ripple effect through the space-time continuum, um, which uh, basically means it is a self-consistency principle. Which kind of would imply that yeah. she will be running forever at the end of the movie. 
Yes, I think that is the implication. It, it rem- and it what it reminded me of was from Primer when they're, they're redoing the same thing again and again and small changes are happening or whatever. He's trying to redo something again and again and again. And, and because we have no idea how any of this works, we don't know how it works. We don't know how the universe is built. There are, we have, we have no idea what our, what consequences our actions have. And there's no need, honestly, to try to explain it. The great part is when stuff starts to kind of happen, that is so, we don't understand what it is because the assumption is there's been some, something has happened that's in this mechanism that we don't understand. And to me, the part that started to kind of communicate that was her brother being like, I don't feel right. I don't feel right. Mm. It's almost like the inevitability of his own death. It was so inevitable that he started to feel it or something like that. And it reminded me of in Primer, it's like when you keep trying to fuck with the same time loop, the fabric, you're doing something's fucking fucking up. And the consequences are we don't know what they are because we don't know how it works and it's eerie and uncomfortable and it makes us think of the fact that we don't know how any of this works and we don't know what we're, what we're in. We don't know what the universe is. We don't know what time is. We don't know what space time is. And it's a very uncomfortable feeling that, that I was left with. It's the same thing with Primer. Like when he starts doing that, it's like this uncomfortable feeling of the unknown. And I really like that. I really like that it just got fucked without necessarily trying to explain it too much. Yeah. Yeah. There, there's not, oh, it's not overly detailed in, in what is actually happening, but they do put some detail into some stuff, which I, which I enjoyed a lot. <laughs> yeah. But there's only but, one kind of yes. thing that really seems to happen within the time travel that, that is very much a movie thing that they just kind of went, Hey, we'll just say you can do this. Um, or we'll just say that this isn't, or we'll just ignore this part of it altogether. And it's the memories issue. So this is this is something where uh, every time she goes back in time to try to change it and it doesn't work, she has full memory of doing that. But when she comes back to her time in the future, surely her memories like how have her memories not changed to being whatever memory she would now have of that existing timeline of the new timeline something i don't know if i think about this too much i get a bit confused <laughs> i'm just like why but i i can think I, it's maybe the I? argument for in terms of if if you wanted to be more kind of accurate in or or make it more of a kind of like this is maybe how it would work then Every time she goes back in time to try to fix it, she doesn't know that she's already gone back in time to try to fix it. Yeah, because then it becomes like they're this spaceman traveling through the universe is the only one that's aware of it. Okay, this is something I have for next week that I really – I would love to bring up this memory yeah. exact thing like on the next week because, okay. yeah, the insinuation is that nobody – like they're a soul traveler explorer going around freely while everybody else is unawares yeah kind of yeah exactly I agree with you yeah it was just that thing where I just felt like if if every iteration of her and the reason why she's not making an effective change is because she doesn't know that she keeps trying to change it every time she's doing it to her it's the first time 
and maybe she just has a different idea of how to try to change it each time. Uh, but yeah, I mean, it, it kind of doesn't work with some other aspects of the story. And then you have the whole like past selves running around the place. But that brings us back to the whole uh, um, happy death day to you time loop idea of are you taking the place of when you go back in time, which they kind of uh, allude to at some point. So let's move into that now, moving into the actual kind of technology travel method. Wait. Can, oh, yeah. Wait. Okay. Go on. You said taking the place of. Yeah. Because because. But the travel, because in in the context of the story, of the of this question, and we don't understand that she snatched Sebastian from a different thing and put him in a different place. She went back to snatch Sebastian from further back in time to bring him to the future so that he could live. Didn't she do that? Because she killed <sighs> Sebastian unknowingly, and so she's gone back to before he got killed and taken him back with her. And then he's like, did I die? <laughs> I can't, yeah, I. Is that what she did? I feel like there was an implication. That That's something, to be honest, that, that kind of went over my head a little bit at a moment. I wasn't entirely clear about that. It seemed to be that was what they were implying. But I think I think the idea was that they would go back and she would, like, she would take over her place of the her that went to the bodega with Sebastian, I think. Um, and that they wouldn't go to the bodega. They would go to try to get Calvin instead. And that in doing that, um, it... Uh, yeah, so no plan. It kind of, of gets rid of the bodega event. So Sebastian doesn't die. So she travels back to the... It's crazy. She, she travels back to the point where she would have appeared, but no, she's busy traveling through space. So we can assume there's only one of each of them everywhere. Yeah. So so let's let's talk about that in this next bit because uh, okay. right. So so something that they do in terms of the so moving into the the time travel method or the technology that they're using. Right. So they have temporal relocation test packs, which are their TRPs. Um, proton packs. <laughs> They're wearing proton packs. They are little Ghostbusters. That's like, right. For yes, sure. Yes. Um, so she said, she describes it in the movie that it is protons attached to a rotor circuit that generates the protons to the speed of light, creating quantum foam and opening up a wormhole. Um, the protons and energy generated will break down their molecular structure on a molecular level. Molecular uh, level. <laughs> So that they can pass through the wormhole, then get to a time destination and be reconstructed. How the molecular breakdown and reconstruction happens, no fucking idea. Not going to worry about it. It's cool. But I'm obsessed with the fact that they said about a quantum foam opening up a wormhole. How do you feel about that? It's like the wibbly wobbly timey wimey. I fucking loved it. <laughs> they were unapologetically balls to the wall, just crazy on the lingo. <laughs> so I loved it. It was camp. It's yeah, I know but what you know what? It's not on. that fucking crazy, Frida. It's not that crazy. Well, really? <laughs> well, the whole Okay, because I was like 
I was like, I just sat back and enjoyed it because I was like, none of this is important. They're having fun making this whole science fiction thing. This whole thing is a gag. It's ridiculous, but also, but time travel is always ridiculous. Yeah, of course. But I was just obsessed with that particular phrase, the fact that they said quantum foam opening up a wormhole, because it brings me back to our interstellar mess. um, It brings me back to our interstellar episode. Because when I read Kip Thorne's book and when he was describing what the whole concept of primordial wormholes are and uh, this idea that there's all of these like tiny, tiny wormholes around the place, um, that is how it's described, that it's a quantum foam. It's described as a quantum foam that kind of exists in this, uh, do you remember we talked about the whole, the brain and the, um, the bulk? The bulk, yeah. And that there's uh, this quantum foam in the bulk and that the the wormholes are the connection between the brain and the bulk through this quantum foam. Like, it's all kind of part of an idea. So you can think about it from the perspective of going, well, if we looked at an interstellar where how he was able to travel, uh, like travel essentially faster than the speed of light or how they travel through the wormhole was that's what they were doing. They were traveling through the bulk using the wormhole so yeah so i i firmly believe they just they read kip thorne's book and went quantum foam wormholes do it time travel love it i'm obsessed love it cool i mean i mean like this movie could have borrowed the language from kip thorne because i was like cool he's in a cool book why 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 try to one-up kip thorne we'll just use his language (laughs) yeah I, I don't know if they did that. I'm not, I'm not like, maybe they didn't at all. Maybe they read about quantum foam somewhere else. But I just want to say quantum foam is a real scientific concept. It's not just made up words that they used. Cool. <laughs> Great. Well, we love when they use real <laughs> words. <laughs> yeah, I know. It's so, just, it's time travel. Okay. <laughs> Sorry. But also, I don't think a lot of time travel movies like explicitly talk about the concept of it being a wormhole. So I enjoyed that a lot. And I love the visuals of them with their little goggles and their backpacks. It was wibbly wobbly, timey wimey. It really I love the fact that the camera went like, I fucking loved it. That that That's going to be, that was my best bits. At the next oh, yeah, question okay. was that when they actually <laughs> traveled through there and the camera, the camera literally was like this. It was like Doctor Who was like, whoa, yeah. you know, I, <laughs> I love it. I love all the, all the parts of the, with the technology. And I think anybody that, anybody that criticizes the science has no joy in their hearts. <laughs> Anyone um, that so- looks at this movie and goes, so unbelievable, would never happen, not realistic, is just a killjoy. Yeah, just why? Why would you bother doing that? Um, there's another line that she has in it that I just want to bring up because I always just appreciate this kind of stuff. So when she's talking about the upgrade to the pack, she says to Sebastian that um, she's changing the spin of the electrons to make them positrons so that they have antimatter to generate pure energy. Now, I was like, I don't, I don't know if it's physically actually possible to turn electrons into positrons, but I did find a paper that presented a framework to do it. So I'm not going to say that you can't do it. So again, I think like they weren't, just making up bullshit words or, or just kind of going like, you know, let, let's let throw this word on this thing and make it sound like a thing. Um, they they seem to actually have thought about it because the whole, the whole thing was that everything that they were trying to do was about the energy requirements. 
it seemed to be. They seemed to kind of use energy as like a sort of a magic-ish component that allowed them to do a lot of things. And one of the things that the energy and the quantum circuit boards from Eduardo allowed them to do was to split time so that they don't run into their past selves, resetting their past jump or... I wasn't sure if it was like creating a new timeline or not, but it seemed to be what we were talking about a second ago, because I I loved this, that they spliced it into the timeline so that she takes her own place in the past. And I just thought that that was really clever. That that's what the quantum, the, the quantum circuits and the using the antimatter to generate all of this energy to allow them for her to just be able to take her own place so that she's so that you don't have all of these copies of them running around the place and you you can't run into your past self it's like it's fine there's still just the original you and the time travel you oh shit yeah amazing i love that do you know what i would love to see i would love to see just just a static shot of just the areas and then you see how they're different how she travels one to the other but never in never in two places at once just yes. to see she's like poofing up here, disappearing there, and so you can get a good idea. That's basically – that's how I visualize it. That's, they're, they're kind of jumping around the neighborhood trying to figure it out, 10 minutes at a time here, 10 minutes at a time there, yeah, and so on. It's so cool. So is there anything else you want to talk about the that whole aspect of it? Uh, I think the temporal relocation terms piss me off a little bit. That's fine. That's a small thing. (laughs) It's like when they make up something, they make up a word for something which already has a word, time travel. (laughs) Yeah, but in science fiction, it's temporal relocation. That's what they use in Star Trek, which we'll get to in a second. I get very confused about what's the science fiction and what's the fiction of the science fiction. You know, okay, I'm sorry. It's like time travel doesn't exist anyway, but the film version where they're being serious scientists, when they talk about it, they can't say time travel. It's like not saying zombies. We can't say that even though zombies aren't real and were only created in this genre. But in the genre, for some reason, we can't say it. We can only say referring to it. It's a meta word. The meta term is time travel, but no, they never say time travel. They have to say temporal relocation. Okay. We've lost Frida. Sorry. Okay. Sorry. I'm ready to go to the next bit. Okay. Best bits. (laughs) Yeah. Okay. Okay. How many do you have? I've just got a few. I like there was so much about the movie that I loved, but I was too kind of busy watching it that I wasn't writing down a bunch of individual bits as we went along. Oh, six. I have six. Okay, you go then. Oh, I have five now because I said one. Um, I love when the ex-boyfriend is kissing the new girl. Oh, yeah. And Sebastian is Sebastian goes, inappropriate. Because <laughs> yeah. it is inappropriate. It's, yeah, it's such a – and you know what? It's It's such a dick move teen bullshit thing that, like, people do. You know, that really juvenile crap of like, I'm going to make you jealous by kissing my new girlfriend in front of you. Like, it's just so, or the or the new girlfriend being like, yeah, I'm going to make the ex-girlfriend jealous. It's so, such teen bull crap. It's perfect. <laughs> um, my so absolute favorite line in the entire movie or my favorite little section of, a, of three lines in the entire movie. Energize. This isn't Star Trek. Shut the fuck up. <laughs> it's just like, it's That's perfect. It. Yeah, it's awesome. 
just it just brought me so much joy like you just see how nerdy out excited Sebastian is and he's like I want to say this word and he's like you're not taking it away from me you're not taking this away from me I'm so excited it was so cute so cute uh, I loved the whole like fixing people's computers. It made so much sense to me because they're such geniuses that they're the neighborhood computer fix people. Yeah. <laughs> I loved a bit. I love it. It made so much sense. I was like, that's they make a bit of money. Yeah. Maybe it's a bit illegal. I loved it. <laughs> um, it I think scene. Eduardo is like the cutest. I actually I can't believe we didn't talk about him at all. Um his weird infatuation with CJ uh, and and like love for her, but then it's like my princessa. But then he's also like, there. there's just that moment where she goes to his house and, and he's like, we? And then the brother, and he's like, you brought, you brought your brother to my house? <laughs> I just love it. It's like complete. I, uh... And then like on the same vein as well, there's the moment when they're in the alleyway and he's just being like, you know, it's all like, oh, you're my beautiful flower, I love whatever. And Calvin just being like, you really got to calm this down, dude. I just, I loved that moment. And that shit down. He was being such a good brother and he being he was being a good friend and a good brother. Yeah. I loved Eduardo. I love that. I loved Eduardo, but I love the whole sequence with the briefcase. When she goes... The whole sequence was amazing, including and especially when she says, I'll go on a date with you. And she's like, you're not going to regret this. I'm going to treat you like a princessa. Yeah. <laughs> it's so sweet. Oh, my God. I've been waiting for you. I've been waiting for you since then. Oh, my God. He was so funny. I mean, he was so doing everything wrong. He was pathetic. Yeah. It was terrible. But... He's, he was just such a goofball. I but loved him. It was with genuine intention. That was a thing. It, it, it wasn't the ick. You don't get the ick from Eduardo because you're like, oh, you're being creepy. It was just like, Eduardo, dude, this isn't, you don't need to do it like Stop. this. Or, you know, and that's what Calvin was going. He's like, dude, you like, chill. <laughs> I know. It's great. I did love, I loved how all of their families were, were ethnic, different sort of ethnic groups, different families mm. with proud families and he had his hispanic family with his really strong accent and he's washing his grandmother's feet and yeah i love how you saw everyone and you had the guyana people and the flag and jamaican people what you know it was just i loved i loved how it was like this is a strong culture this is a strong culture people with pride people that are different it was it was beautiful yeah um yeah what else did you have uh i just have the just my last one was um the scene and i don't know why but there's something about it that is one of the reasons why i think i just really enjoyed calvin or really enjoyed like astro as as uh as a role and it is that bit where it's eduardo and cj with the vr glasses and they've got like the vr proton pack up and Calvin's just standing in between the two of them just looking at the two of them with just whatever the expression yeah, on his face totally. of just being like hey what's going on I was, it was just there was something about the looks between I was just it's great I loved it <laughs> I had that bit I actually had it in my notes and when I transposed it to my computer I didn't know what I was talking about why is that so hilarious it's like the VR <laughs> 
By the way, when they brought the VR out in the beginning, I even thought that was so funny too, the fact that they had VR. I, I, I just, yeah. why not? Give them VR. Who cares? But the, the, it was so goofy when the brother was just standing there. He's just standing there and he's like, wait, what's happening? Yeah. <laughs> it just diminished the coolness of the VR in a way that I really appreciated. Yeah. It made yeah, them look exactly. like idiots. Yeah, and I just love that. Uh, so another one I had was that there was an angle grinder montage, yeah. basically. <laughs> you it love really an was. angle grinder it was montage. Like, <laughs> it was basically a jacks of all trade and an angle grinder montage. <laughs> yeah. And the last one that I had, do you have any more? No, go on. The last one was the grandmother, the way the grandmother yells at Sebastian. <laughs> And then she goes, she turns to CJ and she goes, and how are you doing, young lady? <laughs> that was so perfect. <laughs> oh, like, oh, it was I brought you some food, thank you. Yeah. Because, the, yeah, the grandmother yelling at Sebastian is just clearly how much she loves him. Yeah. It was so, it was so funny. That's all mine. Yeah. Loved her. It was beautiful. And, like, I suppose, I mean... It, it's not. It's not and fun. I remember Sebastian or... died. Huh? I remember now. The grandmother was in hospital. I just remember like the yeah, when the grand. But that's. I was just thinking about that. I was just. I was just thinking about the moment when the granddad is at CJ's house with uh, with her mom, and he's like, like sobbing. You know, he's like so sad and and showing his emotion, um, and this fear for for the grandmother and. It's um, that's the thing I suppose. Like in, in talking about the fun parts of the movie and the best bits, and and yeah, the the way that they put the tone throughout to give us all of these moments of relief, these little moments of of joy or silliness or goofiness, to be able to kind of smile or or kind of step out of the the darkness of what the the core center of the movie really is about. But all of those scenes are as well like to me just just like a little montage of all of those very serious like the mother sitting down watching the um the marches on the tv all of the news story cycle coming through all the time um of what's been happening in the community that scene with the grandfather like like sobbing crying and stuff the the funeral scene for sebastian and the way the preacher speaks the way the way he communicates in that kind of that it's a very American thing or it's a very, I, I don't know what type of, I don't know what religion that is, but the, you know, there's like, there's a sort of uh, a rhythm to his speech. I, I can't, I can't replicate mm-hmm. it. But yeah, I just, I just think the way all of that stuff was interspersed throughout the movie to give us kind of two separate sections or two separate feelings to have throughout it, I thought was absolutely beautiful about the movie in general. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I also thought that the, the the happy fun moments that you get only by the end of the movie end up working to increase your despair because mm-hmm. what we see is loving families, people that have a hard time but love one another, people that have a future, people that are, you know, it's all loving, warm people. And while that's entertaining you throughout the movie, all it does is, yeah, increase your despair yeah. by the end of it because – now Sebastian's life has been washed out. So yeah. it's it's really, really well done. So shall we move into final comments then? Y'all. I've just got two things got I want to bring up. 
Go on, you go first. All right. I've got, I love the lab coats with their names on it. I love that they weren't white. I love that they were like denim. It was different yeah. and I liked it. <laughs> Give me your other one. Mine are very serious. And my next one. <laughs> Go on. My sister lives in Flatbush. Hey. <laughs> That's all. Okay. <laughs> cool. <laughs> hey, Frida's sister in Flatbush. My other sister used to also live on the same block, but then she moved to the suburbs. Okay. After she was attacked by a dog. Oh. Oh. They were like, we're leaving. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Uh, so two kind of serious comments. One is I read a I read a thing about um about the movie that was kind of breaking it down. It was doing like a summary of it, a sort of a review. There's not too much out there about it, to be fair, because um, I just don't think it's it's gotten as much attention as it deserves. But the review that I read, I thought was interesting in that somebody commented about how the the premise of the story, the idea of the, the plight, the whole like murder by cop thing in the US uh, was diminished by having one of the policemen at the beginning be black. And I feel like that person missed the point. And to me, that read, you had two sets of cops. You had the beat cops walking around the place and one of them was black. And then you had the the cops, the, the one who actually kills Calvin. And they're white. And it showed you how the black cop dealt with the situation in the confrontation versus how the white cop dealt with the confrontation. And it showed you the way that the white cops were like agitated and up and like freaking like trigger happy, ready, hand on guns, ready to go. Whereas the black cop was just like in the face kind of knowing like, like just that I, this, there's no tension, there's no necessary force required or anything like that. So I, I just felt like that person kind of missed that perspective of it for me personally, that I thought it just showed mm. you that the problem wasn't the cops. The problem wasn't that, you know, it was like all police. The problem was the fact that um, some people shouldn't be cops, really. Well, I think that you're correct. I do think that black people can also be in the institution. It's just like women can be agents of the paper. Oh, yeah, he wasn't a nice cop. Yeah, it's kind of racist (laughs) to even think that a black person isn't capable or but like that it's an institution that you're a part of and it's institutional. So it's the institution. But I think you're right in the sense that there was a level of an antagonistic behavior from the white people, which wasn't there from the black people. That was so much more sinister. Yeah. And cruel. Yes. And willing to murder than with the black guy. There, There was an element of danger in the beginning, but it was nothing compared to that dread that they all knew with the white cops, it was yeah. another level. And I think that, that you're correct there. For exactly. Sure. Um, and then my second comment is just to highlight that uh, they very they very pointedly had uh, Mr. Lockhart, Michael J. Fox's character, reading a specific book at the start. And the book is called Kindred by Octavia E. Butler. And Kindred is a story centred around time travel between a modern day black woman uh, or like, time travel of a black woman 
a story centered around a black woman time traveling between modern day and American slave plantations in the pre-Civil War. And I just thought that that was a, there's just a couple of little touches here and there. And just having him reading that book specifically was just another little kind of statement, which I thought was really cool. Um, and I loved that, like, he's there, Sweet. he's reading a time travel book that's very specific to uh, stories about um, slaves and black people. And then you have it's Michael J. Fox. And then you're like, here's the here's the new generation of kids. And here's the new way of telling a time travel story. And I just thought it was excellent. And then she's reading Stephen Hawking, A Brief History of Time. Yeah. As well. Yeah. It's lovely. It's a lovely film. Thanks for bringing it to Science at the Movies. I really enjoyed that a lot. Yeah, I'm so happy we've done it. Um, so yeah, and if you haven't seen See You Yesterday, please, 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 please just go and watch it. Watch it. Leave it. Leave it on. Let it run in Netflix five times over in a row. I don't care. I just I want it. I want it in the charts. Let's go. <laughs> Um, right. So that was the first episode of uh, Science. Uh, well, sorry. Okay. So that was the first episode of our Wibbly Wobbly Timey Wimey mini series. See you yesterday. The second episode, it'll be out in two weeks, and that will be Flight of the Navigator. And next week, we have our main episode, which is Time Cop, because we're clearly time gone time cop. travel fucking insane <laughs> this cycle. <laughs> Thanks for listening. Bye bye. Five, four, three, two, one, zero. All engine running. Liftoff. We have a liftoff.